was a bit ironic this morning that the Advent candle we light is a candle of joy. Well, the scripture that Pastor Mike just read paints a picture of gloom, but that is part of Advent, actually. It's waiting, waiting in the darkness as you and I wait for our Lord's promised return. And we understand the end times as they are described in the Bible. These are going to be difficult times. Paul said that. Realize this, in the last times, difficult times will come. People will fall away. People will not tolerate the truth. People will persecute those who hold the Christian faith. The last days are bound to get worse before things get better. It's going to get darker before it gets brighter. The Jewish people waited a long time for their Messiah. Thousands of years passed between the promise of one who would crush the serpent's head and his eventual arrival. And in that time, there were long periods of no prophetic utterance. There were long periods of rebellion. And as we heard from the reading of Isaiah today, times of moral disintegration and great spiritual darkness. Part of Advent is waiting for the light in the darkness. And one hardly appreciates the light who hasn't spent long hours in the dark. And we know this on a, on a gut level, on a base level here in the fine state of Maine. There, the days are always 24 hours long, but there's a time, don't you, don't you know, where they get shorter and shorter. That is to say, the amount of light on any given day begins decreasing in late June and by this time of the year, we're waking up in darkness and we're driving home in darkness and we watch the calendar for the slightest hope, which is coming soon, just a, just, just a few more days. And, and the days, still 24 hours long, are going to get longer. That is, there'll be more light, not as much darkness. If you have ever worked overnight shifts... First, my condolences, but a lot of us have had to do that from time to time. You know how happy you are when you're working that night shift for that night to pass. You know how you look for the sky to turn from black to gray and then hopefully to orange or pink or yellow. You appreciate that twilight as, as the sun hints at its rising in the eastern horizon. The psalmist in Psalm 130 says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. The gloom of night comes to an end with the dawn. But in the lives of the people of Judah, in our text this morning, there's no dawn. When the psalmist says that Sorrow lasts for the night, but joy comes in the morning. There's no morning coming for these people, at least not for the foreseeable future, only darkness. And the darkness is a metaphor. It's not like the darkness that we read about a while ago in our study through the book of Exodus. You remember that, the ninth of the, tenth of the ten plagues, a plague of darkness? When the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt, a darkness to be felt. And Moses did what he was supposed to, and it became pitch black in all the land of Egypt for three days. And the Bible says that people didn't dare to move. You know that feeling when you snap off a light 
and for a moment you can't see anything until your eyes adjust, and a wise person knows I better not go anywhere right now. It takes a little bit longer, as I'm finding, as I get older for my eyes to adjust. Sometimes I probably should spend the night where I flip off the light, but, but it happens. You're kind of paralyzed there for a time before you dare to move. That's Egypt. No one even dared to get out of bed, we read. They didn't rise up. Three days. All the people of Israel, however, had light where they were living. That ninth plague was a literal three-day night. While what Isaiah is talking about is a spiritual night of the collective soul, the people of Israel, and it's going to last much longer. And the darkness that Isaiah is talking about is not just confined to the people of Judah. It is a metaphor, and a metaphor for the human condition, for life apart from God. Life apart from God is darkness. And it's a darkness that no mortal can dispel. It is the helpless estate of humanity. A humanly incurable spiritual blindness caused and exacerbated by sin. It's what happens when God is not sought, when God is not worshipped, when God is not revered as He deserves to be. The night only gets longer. The dark days only get darker. And so it is in every age, writes David Wells in his excellent book, God in the Wasteland. Having displaced God, sinners can no longer gauge the depths of their sin, even if they do experience a tormented conscience. In the ensuing spiritual disintegration, the consciousness of guilt is suppressed and driven below consciousness, and there it assumes the strangest forms. One of those strange forms depraved forms that comes from displacing God is seen in our passage of Scripture this morning in verse 19. As we noted last week, the people of Judah are in a tough spot. They are in great fear. They are in great need of direction, under threat of invasion, desperate to maintain their way of life, what they consider to be normal. Isaiah predicts that they are about to look for answers in what for you and I probably would seem like an awfully strange place. He says, and when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers. Christian, where do you turn for wisdom? Where do you look for your answers to life's most pressing questions? Where do you seek counsel when you need it? I might ask the same of anybody who's hearing these words and is not a Christian. Where do you turn for wisdom? Where do you look for answers? Where do you seek counsel? And how can you be sure? How can you be sure that you can trust in what you're hearing and what you're being told? Where do you look? Who do you call on? In 1984, a comedy about the supernatural hit the big screen. It was an instant hit across our country. Its accompanying soundtrack included a catchy song written by Ray Parker Jr., which repeatedly asked, who are you going to call? If there's something strange in your neighborhood, if there's something weird and it don't look good, who are you going to call? The movie, of course. Ghostbusters, if you want to get rid of a ghost, who do you call? You call Ghostbusters. Okay, in our text for today, we're in ancient Judah, 
And the people are so lost and so spiritually confused that they aren't trying to get rid of a ghost, they're trying to summon them. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time this morning delving into the subject of mediums and necromancers. And by the way, if you say necromancers, what the heck is a necromancer? Okay, it's a word that means those who consult the dead to predict the future. And the reason I know that is I looked it up. Not a word we use every day. But throughout history, at different times in Israel's history even, and to this day, of course, many are cashing in on the business of contacting the dead. Maybe you've seen a TV show or two about this sort of thing. Some of these readings. I wonder if you've ever noticed, if you watch them at all, and I've watched a few, I wonder if you've ever noticed when watching these shows, that not one person who supposedly crosses over with a message speaks anything at all like what we read in the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. No one who has lived an admittedly godless life comes with a message speaking about being in agony, in a flame as the rich man did when he begged for someone to go tell his brother so they wouldn't suffer a similar fate. And no one who has lived an apparently godly life comes across with a message telling us about the beauty of heaven, the glory of God, the comfort of Abraham's bosom that we see in the eternal fate of the poor beggar Lazarus who laid unnoticed all those years at the rich man's gate. Nobody comes across and tells us about those things. Nobody speaks in those terms. Why do you suppose that is? The Scripture teaches that each will go to his reward for the choices he or she has made in this world relative to God and His commands. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 25, teaches that those who serve Him will go away to eternal life, and those who do not will go away to eternal punishment. But modern-day mediums would have us believe that the afterlife is just like someone walking from one room to another and then pops back in with a quick word to confirm a birthday or a special event. Or more commonly, I've noticed, to bring a message absolving the guilt of the living and assuring them that their loved one is okay. And who doesn't want to hear that about a departed loved one? I personally believe that there is something beyond smoke and mirrors going on in the work of mediums. I also believe it amounts to demonic deception, disguising the truth, distorting the reality of the afterlife. But we aren't going to go any deeper into this today because all we really need to know as children of God is what God says about it. We find this in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 31, which says, Do not turn to medians or necromancers. Do not seek them out. And so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Turning to sorcerers and wizards, seeking out magicians and spiritualists, which is what the people of Judah are about to do, according to the Bible, is a defiling act, and it ought not be done. And so Isaiah says to his followers, when they ask you to seek the dead on their behalf, should not a people inquire of their God? 
Should they, should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Now, often when the scriptures that we're reading post questions, that means they are meant to be answered, okay? So should not a people inquire of their God? Yes. Yes, they should. Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? No, no, they should not. Should not a people inquire of their God? Yes. Why? Let me give you two quick reasons. First, because it's not necessary to look anywhere besides God for the answers that you're seeking. Listen, if something's wrong with the invention, consult the inventor. That's what we have when we go to God. God is a creator of all things. God is a source of all wisdom. There's no one smarter, no one greater, no one more equipped, no one who knows us better. And it is an affront to him that we should seek solace or wisdom in anyone or anything else besides him. We shouldn't go to anyone or any, anything else for aid or understanding relative to the human condition. Listen, no one gets us like God. He made us. He understands us. No one knows what we need better than him, and no one is able to supply our needs more than him, and that's the second reason. A people should inquire of God because God is willing and God is ready. God is able to answer the prayers of the needy. How great is your goodness, the psalmist says, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you. The God of good and perfect gifts is ready to give to those who ask, and he gives from a storehouse of goodness none can comprehend. Ask, and it will be given to you, Jesus said. Seek, and you will find. Knock. And the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. The truth is, God is willing to answer, but many are not willing to hear. God is willing to give, but many are not willing to accept. God is willing to help, but many will look for solutions apart from Him. Should a people inquire of their God? Yes. They should. Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? No. The dead have no power to alter the course of the living. They chirp and mutter, Isaiah says. Why are you going to listen to these chirpings and mutterings? And some people interpret that as him poking fun at what they surmise to be the ventriloquism of the mediums. That nothing supernatural is actually taking place, but these mediums are actually trying to disguise and throw their voice, which amounts to just some mumblings and some peeps. And that could be exactly what's going on here, but Isaiah might also just be drawing a simple comparison. Why would you listen to these peeps, to these mumblings from the lifeless, when you could be listening to a voice that thunders? and shakes the foundations of the world. In truth, most are looking for a tamer God. But Isaiah doesn't pontificate here. He says, to the teaching and to the testimony. Here, by the way, is a takeaway from this text. If or when you come across a person who is searching for truth, for security, for salvation, for direction, and in particular, if you see them looking for these things in in all the wrong places. As our author Steve Hawk put it, uh, looking for satisfaction and trying to quench their thirst 
by sipping salt water, especially if this person is a brother or a sister in the Lord, lead them to the living water. Lead them to the Word of God, to the teaching, Isaiah says, to the testimony. Exhort these people not to be looking in these other directions, not to seek worldly answers in pagan practice, or cultural norms, but go to the Word of God. Isaiah points us there. The Word of God is what we need to know. The Word of God is truth. The Word of God is where we find understanding, wisdom, and direction. The Word of God is the light unto our path. It helps us walk in the dark. And what does that word say? In verse 20, we see it says that if anyone, the wizards, the mediums, any teachers for that matter, and those who would listen to such will not speak according to this word. It's because they have no dawn. Consulting these people is like asking a lost person for directions. Would you do that? You'd be a fool to do that. This summer, Liz and I were walking in a a mid-coast town when we passed the shop of a purported psychic. That's what it said on the door. Also on the door was a sign, closed due to COVID. I couldn't help but wonder if she saw it coming. <laughs> when it comes to mediums and spiritualists who do not speak according to the Word of God and by virtue of their craft do not walk according to the, to the Word, the Scripture is clear. There's no light in them. There's no truth in their teaching. There's no dawn. There's no real relief in their revelation. There is no true hope for those who forsake the living God to place their trust in these liars and these deceivers. Those who do, Isaiah says, they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they're hungry, they'll be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. Here we come to the inevitable end of those who will not inquire of God in this life, who look for answers in self or society or sorcery, who look for answers anywhere but God. The consequences are often a literal and always a spiritual poverty. In the time of greatest need, Isaiah says, they'll be anxious and empty. Their deep dissatisfaction in life will make them angry, and they will lash out. They will badmouth authority, they will blame, they will shake their fists at God, at the God they refuse to turn to. They will turn their faces upward, but not in earnest prayer or repentance or seeking. He says, and they will look to the earth. They will look round about them for some solution, some cure, some answer, but they will find no consolation there, he says. Only a distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. This is life apart from God. It is so much less than what we were created for. It is bad. It is hard. And it is the tragic end of those who walk through this world seeking answers, seeking salvation, seeking counsel apart from God. 
as Job put it, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Rejecting the light of God, the people are reaping darkness. A thick, hopeless darkness. Now this is where our text leaves off. And so it is where we finish as well. Quite an awful spot to stop, don't you think? Where is the resolve? This is Advent. It's coming. But you're going to have to wait. Father, we rejoice to be among those who have been called out of darkness into your marvelous light. We look forward in faith to a day and an eternity when you will be our light and there will be no more darkness. And we look to you now for strength and wisdom to walk in this dim world. As objects of your grace, we ask for your heart of compassion toward those who, like the people of Judah, remain closed off to you. Those whose eyes the God of this age has blinded. We seek your mercy toward those who are walking as we once walked before you made yourself known to us. We understand the darkness of life apart from you and pray for a willingness on the part of many to depart that path and for your glory and their everlasting good to be saved. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.